We are looking at the 33rd verse today. And the previous verses have talked about the qualities that we need to walk on the path of realization. And the last verse concluded that the greatest quality is the desire to chant Naam, to recite Naam continuously as though we had countless of tongues. And we were told that this is the path by which we can become one. And the last verse ended with Nanak Nadri Paya. Guru Nanak Dev Ji says that even this Naam is obtained by grace, by Nadar. And Guruji has mentioned this idea quite a few times that we need grace, we need some other external control in order to succeed on this path. That progression on this path only happens by grace. And in this next verse, Guruji goes into detail about the reality of this control, this grace, and the reality of our powerlessness in various aspects of life. Guruji starts by saying, The power to speak and to be silent, no power. Akhanjor, the power to speak, and to be silent, there is no power. So Guruji starts this verse by talking about Akhan, speaking, reciting. And the whole of the last verse was all about Naam, reciting Naam with countless tongues. So Guruji talks about the importance of reciting Naam, but then in this verse, Guruji says that we don't have any control over reciting Naam. Guru is reminding us that this is not in our control. So this paradox needs to be understood. No matter how much we try to recite Naam, no matter how much we hear about the concepts and we listen to the teachings, for some reason, it never seems to happen in our life. For some reason, all day, every day, Naam seems to be the last thing on our mind. It doesn't seem to happen in our life. And all the other priorities take over. So we need to understand why this is happening. Why does Naam not happen in our life? Why can we not be silent within our minds? Why can't we be present? And what we find is because our thoughts don't allow this silence. Our thoughts are in control all the time. So we need to look at thoughts a little bit deeper. What are thoughts? Thoughts, we can say, are mini messages that are constantly running around in the brain. And the reason we have this continuous flow of thoughts is because the brain has evolved, the human brain has evolved in such a way that thoughts are the mechanism by which we survive. 
If you think about the animal kingdom, the human being is neither the biggest nor the strongest or the fastest animal. So we need to think about why is it that the human has thrived? Why are we the dominant species on this planet? And we find that our thoughts throughout the history of, of human evolution, our thoughts have become more and more sophisticated and have found more ways to keep us alive. Our thoughts have prevented us from falling prey to predators, to external threats. It started by humans first creating tools. Tools to feed and eventually tools to hunt. And then our shelters became more and more sophisticated. And as society has progressed, our brain and our thoughts are still in this survival mode. So now we're not protecting ourselves from predators, but we're still motivated by survival. When you wake up first thing in the morning, your highest priorities are the things that occupy your mind. And your highest priorities are always about the things that you absolutely need to get done. So we have to go to work. Why do we go to work? Is because we've now used work as our method of survival. We earn money so that we can pay for food and we can pay for our shelter. This is what all animals in the animal kingdom ultimately look for, shelter and food. So what we do is we start thinking about our priorities and our priorities are always things that need to be done in the house and getting ready to go to work. Our responsibilities are the first things that we think about. So responsibilities take up a large portion of our thoughts. But as our minds have become so evolved, responsibilities aren't the only thing that our mind desires. We also want gratification. So we spend the rest of our thoughts on pleasures. So our most important thoughts, our responsibilities, our roles, our duties, and our second most frequent thoughts are around pleasures. So the desire for pleasurable experiences, what we may call happiness, is so strong within our brains that Nam doesn't take any priority. Guru Nanak Dev Ji talks about this very nicely in a Shabad where he says, Ras soena, ras rupa kaman, ras parmal kivas. The pleasure of gold, of shiny things, of silver, the pleasure of women, of the opposite sex, and the pleasure of fragrance, parmal kivas. Ras kore, ras seja mandar, ras mita, ras mas. And in the old days, the pleasure of having a lot of great horses and a big mansion. Today we can talk about cars and big mansions. Guruji talks about Ras Kore, the pleasure of horses, Ras Seja of a beautiful bed, Seja Mandar of a beautiful house, Ras Mita Ras Mas, 
and the pleasure of sweet taste and the pleasure of meat. That is kind of really hearty flavors. Itte ras sarir ke ke ghat naam nivas. When there are so many pleasures that the body is craving, then whose house, whose internal house has naam dwelling in there? Who has naam within them? So Guruji always recognized that these pleasures take up so much of our time and so much of our effort that naam seems to be the last priority. So this is what Guru has always said, is that by great fortune does naam actually come into our lives. By great fortune, by grace, does naam dwell on our tongue and in our minds. So this brings up an inevitable question. How can we make an effort to do something that we have no control over? This is a question that comes up time and time again. When everything is under some divine control, how do we make that effort? And this question is very valid. It's a really important question. And for those who are on this spiritual path, this question comes up time and time again. But there's a flaw in the question itself. The question is steeped in duality. Essentially what the question asks is who is in control? Do I have control? Or is Hukam controlling me? Is there some external factor that's controlling me? Do I have choice? Do I make my own choices? Do I have free will? Now we need to look at free will and free will is actually quite a big subject in its own right. But if we were to summarize this notion of do we have free will or is there some external hukam, some external divine controller, then we have to understand that in order to say that I have free will, what we're saying is I am free from anyone else's control. I am independent. I am separate that I can make my own independent choices. So now we see that the very idea of free will requires duality. It requires me to be free from any other external factor so that I can be free to make my own decision. And this is the flaw with the idea of free will itself. How does Guruji talk about these things? Guruji starts Japji Sahib by talking about oneness and everything is ultimately being controlled by the hukam of oneness, the will of oneness. So how do we look at free will? All of our actions, all of our thoughts are not ours nor being controlled by something else. It is all one. It is actually all part of one thing. So oneness is the thing that is doing all of our thoughts and all of our actions. Individually, we are nothing without this oneness. We cannot exist separate from this oneness. And this is the crux of the whole path. We've been talking about this analogy of being on a path, of walking the steps, climbing the ladder. The whole path is ultimately down to one thing. This is where the understanding starts and where it ends. And this is why Guruji keeps coming back to this same one point.
when we understand that our very existence emanates out of that oneness and depends on that oneness, then we can see that we are nothing but that one. In the past, we've used the analogies of the wave not being separate from the ocean. And as long as we keep using dualistic language, as long as our thoughts are steeped in duality, that we are somehow independent from the one, that's why we keep going back into the same questions. The questions keep coming up again and again. So Guruji says, Akhan jor chupair neh jor. The power to speak and to be silent, there is no power in that. Reciting Naam is not in our power. Akhan jor neh. The neh there applies to Akhan and to chupair. Guruji has told us time and time again that we must realize and praise the One. Guru has always told us to praise this, this Divine Being. But here we have to understand that it's not in our power to praise. Nor do we hold the power to remain in meditative silence. Now this does not mean that we stop praising. That's not what Guru is saying here. Praise is still a vital path of being on this path. In fact, Guruji re-emphasized this point in the last verse, that reciting Naam, this is the way to walk this path. So praise, Naam, Simran is still vitally important. And the reason it's important is because the mind has to learn to disassociate itself from the idea of me. There are thoughts and then there is identification with the thoughts. When we identify with the thoughts, we create this idea, me. I am the voices in my head. I am this body. In reality, the voices in the head are there. The thoughts are there, the body is there, but this I am is fictitious. This I am is made up. This I am is simply a thought that has identified with the body and has identified with thinking. So Nam Simran is the way to break that chain, to break that connection, to break that identification, to break the thought that I am. I am is not a real thing. I am is a thought. It is just another thought. So to break that Nam is immensely important. But when praise happens, it is the one praising the one through this body, through this voice that it itself created. Otherwise, if we think that we are doing Naam, then what are we using to do this Naam? We're using our thoughts, which we didn't create. We may be using our voice, which we didn't create which exists on this body, which we didn't create, using language that we didn't create, using wisdom that we didn't create. So where has this power come from? Where has this idea come from that you have the control to do something? What is the you left? You didn't have your voice, you didn't have your body, you didn't create the wisdom to do this Nam, and you didn't create the language to do this Nam. 
So what is it that you have that you can offer? So this is why Guruji keeps going back to this idea that Naam is important. But don't think you are the one doing the Naam. And this applies to all spiritual practices. It isn't just limited to Naam Simran or Naam Japana. Whether it's singing or to remain in some sort of meditative silence, Akhan Jor, Chupa Jor. Guruji now goes on to highlight more spiritual practices. Jor na mangan, den na jor. No power to ask, to give no power. You know, one of the things we might think is that if we're not doing enough Naam Simran in our life, is that because we haven't done a strong enough Ardas? We haven't asked for it? So, the Ardas or the plea that we've done for Naam Simran hasn't been good enough. So Guruji confirms that to ask for everything or to ask for anything is also not in your power. Because you might think that I'm, I can at least do an Ardas. That's what I can do. Guru says, Jorna Mangan. Even to ask is not in your power. So every time we ask, the very impulse to do the Ardas to make a request, the very impulse that I want to progress further on this path, that impulse comes from the One. If the first step on this path is to have a desire to walk on this path, to understand more about reality, then that desire itself comes from the One. The desire doesn't come from you. Jor na mangan. Guruji then says, To give, there's no power as well. And what is this path? This path is the path of giving up your self-identity, giving up your ego, surrendering your ego. Guru says, this is also not your doing. Guruji has time and time again asked for a head, asked you to give your head. And what Guru means is surrender your ego. Surrender the very idea that I exist. But Guruji says here that you don't have the ability to even make that surrendering. Even that giving is a grace. That's not your control, that's not your power to do so. Even our giving is not our doing. So many times when we see people who say that they are spiritual, who say that they are on a spiritual path. They might say that they are on a path of awakening. And the reason they have these notions about themselves is they think that I'm now very kind, I'm very giving, I'm very loving, I'm compassionate, I'm very forgiving. You might hear people say that in order to be enlightened you have to give out positive thoughts. That if you give positive thoughts, if you radiate positivity, that the universe will give positivity back to you. Now the question is, if the source of that positivity is me, I am the one giving out positive vibes, then there is no use to that positivity. Because the I am still remains. The I is still there. So what you find with people who've 
very quickly gone into the spiritual path, not really had the opportunity to learn the depth, the complexity of what it is and what it involves, is what you find is people with a very polished ego. It's still an ego, but it's a very refined, shiny ego. It's a refined sense of self. It's a pure, a pious ego. And this is a danger that we have to be aware of. We may find that we're actually very proud and that we actually quite like the fact that we're on a spiritual path. That we take pride in our spiritual practices and these great commitments that we've made towards realization. We may like the idea that we've left the world behind, we've left all these worldly pleasures, and now we're following a more noble, honorable path, a path towards being awakened, towards being enlightened. And the reason that we have this sense of pride within it is because we've taken a sense of ownership. That, look at me, I'm now on this path. We've taken ownership of our actions and we've identified with the thoughts. We've identified with our actions. And identification with thoughts and actions is the definition of ego. When you identify with any thoughts, any actions, your body, that is what an ego is. It is the I that you've placed on your thoughts, on your actions, on your body. This individualized self. But Guru Nanak Dev Ji doesn't want you to have an ego. Guru Nanak Dev Ji is very protective over you. Guru doesn't want you to have an ego because the ego is the very opposite of this path. It's walking in the wrong direction. Jor na mangan, den na jor. Jor na jeevan maran hai jor. Guru Ji goes even further. No power to live to die, no power. And these are further aspects of the spiritual path. In the spiritual path, we hear that in order to truly live, you have to die. You have to kill the ego. And killing the ego is to give up your ego, to be alive and dead at the same time. This is known as Jivat Mare. We can translate that as living dead. Now, while Hollywood has reserved that term for zombies, the Indian mystics have always used that term for the highest, most enlightened beings. Those who are alive, but they're not alive. Those who are dead, but alive. They are walking, talking, living, breathing, but they are not there. They have disappeared. They don't identify with that which is walking, talking, living and breathing. There's no identity there. That which is walking, talking, living and breathing is known to be a part of the bigger one. They are the living dead. But you only reach this stage when you know that there is nothing here. When you own nothing. When you are nothing. There is nothing that you can call mine. So, you've not had a say in your birth. You didn't have a say when you were born, where you were born, to whom you were born, how you were born, or what your body would look like when it was born. 
You didn't even choose your own gender. What control do you think you have over anything else? What is this I that you've placed on what? On, on your body? The body that you didn't create? The body that you had no say over? What is the I that you've placed it on, upon? So you've had no control over your birth and you have no control over your death either. Does anyone know when death is going to come and take them? But some of you may ask, ah, but what about suicide? Surely suicide is something that we control. Surely that is something that is in our power to do so. Now, suicide rarely ever happens in isolation without any influence from external factors. Suicide rarely happens without some reason, some external circumstance that leads up to the suicide. Whether they're external circumstances or internal changes in thoughts, in internal circumstances within the victim's own minds, and neither of those circumstances are in the victim's control. Sometimes just life takes a turn for the worse. And the internal can't deal with the changes of the external. Again, who decides whether a mind is going to be able to cope with the stresses of life or not be able to cope? Who decides that? Do you decide that you're going to be in control? Or do you decide that you're going to have a nervous breakdown? So you have no control. So even the person who commits suicide doesn't have control over why those circumstances have led to that scenario. So remember that nothing happens outside of divine will. Nothing happens outside of divine will. Hukme andir sabko bahar hukum nakwe. So this is just a divine long story being written. It's a continuous story that is being told. Jor na raj mal mansor. Jor na raj. Raj here has a sihari and that means to be in something. A noun with a sihari at the last letter means within Raj. So no control to rule, to be in a position to rule, or to be in wealth, mal. No power to rule or to be wealthy, manshor. The word sor means shore, noise within the mind. Again, mind has a sihari, which means within the mind. No power to rule or to be wealthy, for which there is constant noise in the mind. So Guru here is saying that even success and wealth, both things that the mind is always craving, these are the things that are constantly occupying our mind. This is what motivates us. This is what gets us out of bed in the mornings. It, although everyone wants these things, not everyone can have these things. Not everyone achieves all the success that the mind desires. So this is also not in our control. We see that some people work very hard 
and achieve no success in the material world. And some people do very little and success just falls onto them. Some people are rich and just lucky. And if we think about it, if everyone is craving for success, then we would be in a very difficult position if everybody was successful. How can everyone be successful? In fact, the very idea of success requires the failure of something else. If I'm successful, it's because I'm more successful than, than my peers. So success requires failures of others. So Guruji is saying that no matter how much you plan or you strategize within the mind, this manishore, you cannot control whether you become successful, wealthy, have a position of power. So even to be a king isn't something that you control. You may just be born into royalty or into celebrity or into a lot of wealth. Where was your control? Where was your power? So Guruji is making all the aspects of our life clear that we don't have control over these things. Jor Naraj Mal Mansur. Jor na surti gyan vichar. No power to be in awareness, in wisdom or in contemplation. So if material wealth and material success is not in our control, then spiritual success seems like something that is completely unreachable. And again, we need to think about it. If spiritual success is something that was in our control, if we had the control to completely understand this wisdom of non-duality, we would all choose to be enlightened right now. Wouldn't we? We'd all want to be enlightened right now. So, even to understand and access and process this wisdom is not in our control. We can even hear this wisdom, we can read about this wisdom, we can read all the books, but sometimes it makes sense and sometimes it doesn't. Who controls that? Sometimes we can digest this, sometimes we can take it into our lives, and sometimes we just forget everything that we've understood. We don't have the control to decide whether or not we're going to grasp these concepts. So we cannot say that we can control how this wisdom is going to infiltrate our thoughts and whether it will allow us to comprehend this wisdom or whether we can act upon this wisdom. We don't have control over this. So Guruji is saying, in this surti, in this awakening, in this gyan, to be in this wisdom, and to be in contemplation of this wisdom, which are, we have no control. Jorna Jukti Chute Sansar. No power of technique to liberate the world. Jorna Jukti. Jukti means technique. We heard about Jog Jugat Tanped. Sunya Jog Jugat Tanped. Jugat means jukti, technique. So Guruji says that we can hear about the techniques, but we don't have the power to manifest those techniques, to, to control those techniques. 
Something to note about the spelling here. The word sansar has an ankar underneath it, making it a noun, a complete noun. And some people and some translations you will see will say no power to take the technique to be liberated from the world. To liberate from the world. In Punjabi we will say sansar ton from the world. But whenever we take a word like from and add it to a noun, sansar ton, then Gurbani will take the onkar away from the word sansar. So here we cannot translate it as the technique to be liberated from the world. Because if we were to say that, we're saying sansar ton, from the world, and Gurbani takes away the onkar when it uses ton, or when it replaces the word ton, when it takes that from word away from the sentence, it will indicate that by taking the, 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 the onkar away. We would say that this is a, a mukta word. So we have to translate this as the world, not from the world. So chute sansar means to liberate the world. So what do we mean by that? We have no power to perform that technique which can liberate the whole world, which can liberate everyone in the world. And the technique is the same for the whole world. The technique that we're talking about is to surrender your self-identity. Guruji says that you don't have the power to perform that technique. The same technique that is for everyone to be liberated. So the ego that we identify with cannot give itself up. If the path is for the ego to be liberated, then who is the one giving the ego away? How does the ego give the ego away? If we say, I want to give the ego away, how do we do that? What is giving what away? I am the ego, the ego is me. So how can I give up my ego? when I am the ego. So the very fact that the ego gets liberated is not something that we do. Because who is it that would be doing it? So if the time is right, then this mind-body identification that we call the ego will depart. It happens. When and how seems to be out of our control. Jorna Jugti Chute Sansar Jis hath jor kar soy. The word hath means hand, but hath here has a sihari, which means in the hand, hath vich. Jis hath vich jor. Jis hath jor. In whose hand lies that power, that one does all and observes all. Jis hath jor kar soy. It's doing everything and it's looking after everything. It's in control of everything. So don't walk on this path thinking that you can get yourself to the end. Don't walk on this path thinking that you will allow yourself to reach the destination. Now that's a very strange thing to say. Why would you walk on a path that you have no control whether you're going to reach the destination. Why would we do that? 
Why would we pursue this journey? We have to remember this isn't a path leading to a destination. The very path is the path of giving up the illusion of control. This is a path of giving up your illusion that you have control. That's what this path is. That there is a you and the you has control. When you realize that you, the individual, have no control, that's when you merge with the controller. When you realize that you have no control, in fact, that there is no you doing anything, that's when you merge. Now let's just clarify what we've said here. What do we mean when we talk about the controller? Are we not creating another duality? There is me who has no control, and then there's a controller who has all the control. Always remember that the answer is ik that the controller isn't a distinct, separate entity from you. It's not a separate being. In fact, thinking that you have control is the thing that created the duality in the first place. You created that duality, you created the separation. I exist, I am. So here we're reminded that what we're talking about is the story of life that continues to be written. What is this? What is this body? What is here right now? What is here right now is something that is just a small blip, a cog in an entire long story of life. Let's think about your body. Let's think about what you are. What you are is the product of your parents. Your parents are the products of their parents, your parents are the your grandparents are the products of your great grandparents, and so on and so forth. So the story of life is just that life is created and then it goes and it's recycled and then new life and new life and new life created. So what you are is just one tiny cog in a very long line that started billions and billions of years ago. Because you can trace the human lineage all the way back to the previous species that we've evolved from. And they existed because the planet existed, and the planet existed because certain rocks collided with each other, and those rocks existed because certain explosions happened at the beginning of time and space. What are you? And your body is just a vehicle for which the next few generations will be created. And the story will continue for billions of years after you're gone. What are you? So remember that this is a story that is being written, that started well before anyone can conceive and will continue for billions of years. And it is this story that's being continuously written and somewhere in that massive long story one tiny character is what you are. A small character in a very long story. And what we say 
what this character says in this story, how this character acts in this story, is also what you've been exposed to, what you've been conditioned to. Think about this. What we desire, what we want to take from the world, what desires are in our mind, where do they come from? They come from the conditioning of the world around us. Nobody desires something that they've never seen or heard of before. We only desire the sorts of things that are around us right now. So your desires aren't yours, your desires are a product of the conditioning around you. What we take from the world, what we give back to the world, is all part of just this conditioning. Life and death are not in our hands. Neither are the circumstances that lead up to our success and our wealth. How we think, the thoughts that we have, the values, the opinions that we hold, these are never formed in isolation. These are always dependent on external things, on external influences. So even our thoughts aren't our thoughts. They're just part of what this character is exposed to. You only think about the things that are immediately around you, the things that you've seen, the things that you've heard about. So even your thoughts are just what this character that you call me has been exposed to. They're not your thoughts. They're just what the character has been exposed to. And even liberation from our thoughts, liberation from our emotional struggles, even that's not in our control. So we're part of a much larger complex ecosystem, a very complex integrated set of circumstances, and this is what we call life. Life is what is being written. Life is the story, the never-ending story that's being told. Life is what is in control right now. Life controls its own direction. And because, because of this, Guruji says, Nanak uttam nich na koi. Says Nanak, higher or lower are none. All of us are just playing a part in this big drama of life. No character is more or less important because we didn't control what role we would be given. We didn't control the part that we would play in this story. So no one is high or low, because we're all waves part of the same ocean. Now, at this point, it's really important to understand why Guruji has chosen to create this perception that we are powerless. Why did Guruji choose this as a narrative? On the surface of it, it appears to create a very pessimistic view. It's one that could potentially leave the spiritual seeker disempowered and disillusioned. But the opposite is actually true. If the purpose is to connect to the One, then realizing that the One is in control of everything that you do makes that One closer than ever before, much closer than we have ever thought of. Everything that you're doing, 
is not the act of a separate individual, but it is the one acting through you. Everything that you're doing is the one acting through you. Think of the analogy of the flute. The flute exists, but it has no power to say anything, to do anything, to make any music. It has all the parts to make the music, but it can't make the music. The one element, the thing that gives it life, the breath, that has to come from the musician, from the player. It is when the musician and the instrument merge, that's when music is formed. Just as the flute needs the musician, the musician needs the flute. They both need each other in order for music to be created. And the one and you have this same synchronous <coughs> relationship. You and it are joined, are part of the same thing. Because it is there and because your body is there, life exists. So everything you're doing is the one acting through you. This is the final nail in the coffin of self-identity. The utter powerlessness of the individual. Every step you take is a step being taken by the one. Every word, every thought, every movement and every breath is not being done by you but by the one. And remembering that you are powerless at every step becomes your meditation. I am not doing this. I have no power. I am not. Everything is you. So if Nam Simran is too difficult, if remembering the one is too difficult, then just remember that you have no control. You are not doing anything. It's easier to remember yourself than it is to remember the one. Remember that you are doing nothing. I am nothing. My very movement of my lips, my mouth, the voice is not me. The hands, the legs is not me moving. And within that, you will become close to the one. That becomes your Nam Simran. It is an indirect Nam Simran. It is an indirect way of remembering that one that is in control by you remembering that you have no control. So again, Guruji gives us a novel technique to connect with that one. By acknowledging the powerlessness and the power of the one that moves through us. Vai Guruji ka Khalsa, Vai Guruji ki Fateh.